This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. All right, there it is. Say it with me. While going through life. Um, last week I gave you a challenge. And um, I, I discussed how um, many people in our community are not regulars in church, don't attend church at all, uh, have no intention of going to church. And the statistic to me is mind-blowing. Um, but what if I told you in your community that there were 15,000 people that are confirmed that don't go to church, have no interest in church right now? Would that break your heart? What if I told you it was not 15,000 actually, it was 30,000? Well, actually it's not 30,000. Westchester's population is right at 60,000. That means that there are, according to the census and the answers people gave, 48,000 of them are not in church on a regular basis. Um, I don't know out of that group that you had here yesterday how many are not involved in a church, but I would assume that uh, quite a few of them are not, and you reached out to them uh, and, and helped with that, uh, uh, sharing the love of Christ to people for no apparent reason other than you wanted to share the love of Christ with people and help people out in your community. You know, when you have events like this, and I just want to challenge you with this too, because you know, being a pastor for many years and having all these uh, outreaches that we did and, and, and with the, the intent was that we want to represent to our community the love of Christ. Every time you have an event, if there is any way possible that you can be there, if nothing else, just to be a body member that's here and representing to those that are coming in the door that this is a, a you know, a a church that loves and many people are here and serving and everything. So if you can make it to those events, if at all possible, um, you know, do that. Support every event as if it was the most important event your church ever has ever done. Because you, you don't know that divine opportunity we talk about that while going through life that God may give you a divine opportunity. If you were here in this room or in this building when those people came in to get those backpacks, it just might be that you would be the one that would connect to one of them that has a question that leads them to a relationship with Christ. Because that's how God set it up. So never pass up that opportunity is what I want to encourage you to do. And you can't do a ministry like that, uh, an outreach to people as you are doing, and you've done several different things. You can't do that unless there's more than one of you involved in it. You need partners. That's what we're going to talk about today, about partners in ministry, and how we need to be in partnership with people, uh, our own folks here in the church, that we need to be in partnership with them because not one of us is capable of doing it all. Uh, Ecclesiastes is our verses for today. If you're looking in your Bible, we have it on the screen here. But Ecclesiastes chapter 4, we're going to begin at verse 9. And I'm sure that some of you have heard these words before because they're such great words of wisdom. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. 
If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. What would you say is the greatest asset uh, to church, uh, church's ministry? What is the one thing that, that has to happen if any church, if Journey Church, is going to minister to its community? Uh, looking at the title, I'm sure you know what I'm going to say is the, is the answer, and you've guessed it right. Uh, partnership is the greatest asset any church can have when it comes to doing ministry in the community. Of course, there are other things that are needed as well. We need money. Um, you know, in, in the few, probably the last two decades, there has been a real change in the philosophy of talking about money in the church. Uh, pastors have grown a little leery of bringing up that subject. They think, well, if we've got all these people coming in that are seeking the Lord and don't know the Lord and don't understand uh, what the Bible says, and you take an offering in front of them, they're going to have that thought that so many people think non-church people have, well, the church is only out for the money. <laughs> That's an amazing thought, that you believe or that anybody believes that once a person enters the door here, they check out with common sense. They look at a building, they look at your lights burning, they feel the air conditioner, the heat or whatever, they see all, the, all this stuff we have, and they believe, well, the Lord just takes care of all that. They don't need money. That's not the way people think. Any logically thinking person understands that no matter what we do on this earth, it takes money to do it. Now, money is what we have as our currency of the day. But even if you go back in history before we had so much of uh, exchange of coins and bills and all that, it was, it's always been material things are needed to do anything. Any business, any endeavor needs money. And to believe that the teaching on money is not a part of worship, I think is a, a bad direction for the church to have gone in. The time of offering is just as important as the time of prayer, because in prayer you're giving your heart over to the Lord, your needs to the Lord, you're giving all that to Him. At the time of worship, where you are giving up your hearts, you know, worship is about you blessing God, not God blessing you. Oh, you may get blessed, but that's not what worship is about. Worship is about you in your songs, in your heart, in your words. You are blessing the Lord. So worship is important. Prayer is important. Um, the message is important. All those things are a part of worship. The fellowship, the shaking of hands, the gathering together, the, the giving, exchanging the love between each other. That's important. But you know, the giving, the understanding of giving is also important. The scripture is filled with it. In fact, if you, I could almost do a sermon on just giving here, but the, the Lord spoke more about money or material things and our attitude about them than any other topic. He's talked about that more than faith because he knew that that material stuff 
is what drives most of us. I think one of the most peculiar verses in the, in the Bible, it, it, it says that where your money is, there your heart will be also. I always thought that was backwards because as Christians, it ought to be where your heart is, there your money is. But that's not reality. The Lord knew. If you show me your checkbook, I'll show you your heart. And, and that's why he said it that way. Where your heart, is, where your money is, there is where your heart is. So if you're greedy with money or you are irresponsible with money, that is where your heart is. So we want our heart to be always about what we are giving, whether it's material things, money, prayer, whatever it is. That's where we want our heart to be. So money is important to the church. A building, well, you know, this is an important facility because it has so many things to offer our community. They can come in and they can do things here, including worship. But beyond that, it's a place of teaching. It's a place of fellowship. The building can be a good thing to have. You have to have a community if you're going to be a church. That's one of the things that's really needed. If you built a church in the middle of the Mojave Desert where no one lives, what kind of church would that be? You know, you have it in a community where you can minister that needs to know about the love of Christ. All those things were important. But I'm going to tell you, all of them have very limited importance if you don't have partners to help do them. Partners in ministry. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says that two are better than one and three is even better yet. So having a partner in ministry is a very important. It's very important to a pastor. Uh, it's been important to me to have many partners over the years because here's what I know. I know how God has gifted me and I fall short of being Jesus. And I know how God has uh, uh, made me emotionally and I know that that too has some big flaws in it. I know how God has given me all these different things and I know this, I'm an incomplete person. There is no, I can't do what Jesus did and do it all. I have to have partners. A pastor has to have partners in order to carry out the work of the church, no matter how gifted they are. I know my passion, but my passion is pretty focused on one thing. But other people have passions for children and have passions for uh, doing different things in the church. That's their passion. They are all needed. All that has been given to me makes me aware of how much I need others to help me carry out ministry. Despite all that, I, that God has given to me, I realize I, spiritually, emotionally, all that, I need to raise up partners in ministry. A church needs to raise up partners and have partnerships. Partners will make up for all the shortcomings of each other. They will be the strength in your weak spot. They'll be the one that comes along beside you and supports you when you are down or don't understand what to do or overwhelmed. And many seasoned pastors say that in the last probably 30, 40 years, church, leading a church as a pastor has become more difficult than ever in the history of time. And the reason of that is because fewer and fewer people uh, find church something that they believe they need. 
it was many years ago that uh, a church family, you know, would just exist and people would come and be a part of it. Uh, that's not true anymore. A church, the community has changed, the culture has changed, society has changed. And if we cannot understand how as partners to adapt to some of that, we will remain the same. Can you imagine your church um, uh, from 50 years ago doing exactly the very same things they did 50 years ago, not changed one thing, dressing the same way, that would be a riot, wouldn't it? Doing the very same things we did 50 years ago and expecting that it would attract people in today's culture to us. Now, we don't change the message. Please understand me. The message remains the same. It has to remain the same. How we deliver the message, now that may vary from, at, at times. But those who don't change, they're going to find out that they're no longer needed. Anybody remember eight-track tapes? Yeah. Uh, um, how about NCR or back in the day, national cash registers who made mechanical cash registers gone? How about General Motors? We had five great General Motors plants here. They didn't adapt. They didn't change as they needed to. They're all gone. Things change. And if you're not changing, you're going to be gone. The church would be gone. Businesses close their doors. Others, they change their product line. Successful ones are able to adapt to consumer needs. There's a book that um, a guy by the name of Tom Collins wrote called Good to Great. And in that book, he describes two businesses. One of them I'm sure that all of you know. The other ones you younger folks may have never heard of. But two places, they were called grocery stores. They were Albers and Kroger. Now at one point, Kroger decided that it was no longer going to be a grocery store but become a supermarket. Albers decided we're gonna hold the line. We're just gonna to continue to be a grocery store. Kroger's began to add things besides groceries. The pharmacy, the meat counter, um, they used to rent videos, and, and it just goes on and on. All the things that they have brought into their store that has nothing to do necessarily with groceries, but they became a supermarket. Albers stayed the course. Anybody know where there's an Albers? They lost out. They're no longer around. At least they're not around here. Kroger's just keeps getting bigger and bigger. One of them near us sells clothing. I mean, they sell furniture. It's a supermarket. Now, when we look at the church, it's not always so clear cut how we change to meet a society. A society could want you to change things that we can't change, like the lady who called me and wanted to know, well, what does your church think about a man and woman living together, not married? I said, well, the church thinks what the Bible says. She said, well, what's that? And I said, well, the Bible says that's sexual immorality. And she said, well, you need to change. Everybody's doing it now. You need to change your Bible. Yeah, Bible 2.0, I guess. See, we can't change that message. It is what it is. 
So what God's plan is for a pastor and a church in this time of changing world and changing values and changing everything is to raise up partners to help us go forward with what the mission is. And the mission is to love. Love our society. Love our people. Love our culture. To be an influence in society for the most part that isn't interested in what they deem as church. How do we present the love of Christ instead of the old image they might have of church? That's the question we have. Well, I know one thing. We've got to have partnerships to do it. Verse 9 of Ecclesiastes 11 says it's better to have a partner than to go it alone. That's the way the Message Bible translates it. It's better to have a partner than go it alone. Two are better than one, in other words. A church needs a partner in ministry because God has not gifted any one of us, whether we're the pastor, the leader, or whoever, to do all the ministry by themselves, especially the ministries that the church has designed to be in partnership. Mother Teresa said, um, I can do things you cannot do, you can do things I cannot do, but together we can do great things. Way back in 1904, there was a um, World's Fair in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, it was very hot during that time. And back then, there wasn't as many cool drinks that you could get as we can get today if we get hot and thirsty. It was hard to, to get that heat uh, under control to get your thirst quenched. But the news spread very quickly throughout all the World Series grounds that there was a guy that was selling this new kind of dessert. It was cool, it was tasty, it was yummy, it was frozen, it was called ice cream. So people lined up at this guy's thing to get ice cream. And it was so overwhelmed him that he soon ran out of the bowls he had and he couldn't wash them fast enough. So he went to paper bowls, ran out of those, and he was in a real dilemma. People were walking away because they couldn't get a bowl of this ice cream. Now, next to him was another vendor, a man from Syria, who was making something from his country. It was a flat confectionery thing, sounded to me sort of like um, uh, one of those waffle things that you buy at the fair. And so, he was seeing the dilemma of, of the guy next to him, so he walked over to him, took that flat bread, made it into a cornucopia, and put the ice cream in it. And now they had something to serve the ice cream in, and together they partnered up and they sold all their stuff. Uh, it became known as the cornucopia ice cream. I I'm glad we changed it to ice cream cone, right? Our text tells us that two are better off, or one is better off with a friend by our side, with a partner in our venture. We will have some success for, uh, for one thing, but with a partner, we're going to enjoy a reward to receive and receive rewards for more than one thing. And it gets even better when there is a strong combination of partners of three. Partners pick us up. That's what verse 10 says. In, in, the, in the moments that we fall, it's good to have someone to help us up. The verse says, if one falls down, his friend will help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. I can't read that verse without thinking of um, Barabbas or the, the guy who used to say, pity the fool. Pity the man 
who falls and no one to help him up. Verse 10 in the New Living Testament says, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help him. I want you to complete this slogan of this commercial. Help I fallen and... Yeah, we all know that. It's a sad commercial, really, if that happened to you. Um, and and, and, I, and we had a lady in our church. She was in her 80s, and she would took her little dog out during the wintertime to walk him in the back. He got tangled up in the leash, and she fell down, and, and she, couldn't, she could not get up. It was 32 degrees, and she was laying on the ground. She laid there on that ground, 32 degrees, for five hours. Finally, a, a, a workman came to the house next door and saw her, got her help, got her up. Somehow or another, she survived that, um, that fall. But she was helpless. She told me, you know, I couldn't, the way I fell down, I couldn't get my arms to work. I, I just couldn't do anything. I was just there. And she thought she was going to die. With a partner, falling is less likely as well. I don't know if you've ever seen these um, companies that come into an organization to teach them uh, how to depend on one another and work with one another. And one of the companies came in with this idea. They would put these two very thin rails on the floor, and you would, you would have to stand up and walk that rail from one end to the other. And it being so very thin, uh, hardly anybody could do it. Hardly anybody could get from one end to the other. Well, they had everybody try that, and then they brought them back, and they had two get up one on each rail, and hold hands. And almost every pair could walk both rails all the way to the end because they were helping one another. So according to the verses, with a partnership, we earn more and enjoy more rewards with partners, and we recover from our falls and troubles a lot quicker if we have a partner. Then verse 11 goes on to another advantage. Partners give us comfort. Verse 11 says, also if Two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? We, we experience comfort when we work with others. Uh, there was a story of many years ago, it's now been made in, I don't know how many movies this has been made into, but it was a true story of two hikers in the mountains, in uh, uh, very cold mountains, and one of them fell through the ice on a lake, and the other one managed to pull him out. But the guy was was soaking wet in these freezing temperatures and they had no other clothes for him. The only thing that they could do, they had to get him out of the clothes quickly. He was going into hypothermia and they unrolled the sleeping bag and they stuck him down in the sleeping bag, but he had already gone to that point of being so cold that he couldn't warm up. So the other guy took off his snowsuit and got in the sleeping bag with him and hugged him and, and, and cuddled up to him and got him warm from his body temperature, got him warm and it saved his life. When we are working in ministry that reaches out to a fallen world, it can be like getting caught in a storm. A partner is needed to bring comfort when we have tried and, and maybe the world's rejected us. You know, my, my best partner in, in is, is my marriage partner, Sharon. By the way, you're in for a real thrill. Sharon's gonna be here next week and, and preach. So it's going to be great. She's so looking forward to this. But anyway, she is often the one when I'm down for whatever reason, she's up. And sometimes she gets down and I'm up. And, you know, and between the two of us, you know, we, we bring comfort to each other. 
And in this upcoming season for your church, for our church here, in this upcoming season, there are going to be times when people get down. Somebody you know might be getting down, a little discouraged over what's going on or what seems not to be going on or, or whatever, and they get discouraged. And you know what? You may be the one that can come up and put an arm around their shoulder and say, hang in there. Let's pray about this. Hang in there. It's going to get better. And you would be the up person to help them get back up. I challenge you to purposefully look for those who need comfort in this building. The ones that you've known, maybe you've known them for years, but they need a little comfort. Maybe you could call someone that hasn't been here lately and say, hey, I want to comfort you. I, I want to talk. Let's, let's talk about what you're feeling. So if you see someone a little down, discouraged, comfort them. Now, some of those newer in the faith, they need comfort of a seasoned person. Some of those young in age, they need the comfort of the mature. Some of those who have been around here a long time and been working hard for maybe many years, you know what, they need the comfort of some of the young energy that's here to come up beside them, comfort them. Decide today that you will be the kind of partner that comforts those in need. Philippians 2, 1 and 2 says this, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, I'm going to add some things in here. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, you are a comforter. If any comfort from his love, you can comfort others. If any fellowship with the Spirit, you can comfort others. If any tenderness and compassion, use that to comfort others. Make, then make my joy complete, the apostle says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. Does that not sound like partners? Being one like-minded, same love, one in spirit, and purpose. So with a partnership, we earn more and enjoy more rewards with our partners. We recover from our falls and troubles quicker, and we experience a comfort that we need from another partner. And finally, a partnership combines our strength. Verse 12 said it this way, a person standing alone, now this is out of the New Living Testament, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You see, there are strengths. There is strength in numbers. Um, our son, Craig, um, when he was 16 years old, decided that he wanted to go on a missions trip at 16 overseas. Uh, it was with a group, uh, an organization called Royal Servants International, and they focused on taking teenagers on mission trips. So we allowed him to go. He went on to go every year after that. He soon became a leader and, and was one of the leaders that took kids overseas. But in, at his boot camp, they went for two weeks out in the stinking middle of nowhere in Illinois. 
And they had a, a church camp out there that let them use this facility. And they went out there and for two weeks they trained these kids to go on a mission trip. And a part of that training was they paired them, they uh, put them in groups of three. Uh, one child or one young teen that had already gone on a trip before with two brand new ones. And those three had to stay together at all times. They slept in the same tent together. They did all their work assignments together. They went to worship together. When they had time to study the Bible, they went and studied the Bible together. They prayed together. They did every, They went to eat together. Everything they did, the three of them had to stay together and go do it. Even in the middle of the night, if you had to go to the portage on, you had to wake up the other two and all three of you had to go and the rule was, without complaining, because this is one of your trio, this is one of your partners, you had to go without complaining, you had to get up and you had to go to the, to the Kim John with them, to the Porter John with them. And the reason they trained them this way is so when they were overseas and they were in a place that might be very crowded, the three of them were together, they were less likely to have problems, to get lost, or to be in any harm's way. You see, that's the power of a partnership. It's the way that he was trained, and I think it's just a great example of how we should be trained as well. There is strength in numbers. Along the way, we are going to know the attacks of the enemy. We are going to know the discouragement that comes our way to um, keep us from success. But if we are partners in ministry, there will be strength in our numbers. There is spiritual strength as we study. There is worship, there is study, spiritual strength as we worship together. There is spiritual strength that's given when we pray together. There is the physical strength of working together. You know, that, that idea that, you know, our, some of us aren't as capable we need others to come alongside us and help us do the physical work. There is strength in our financial giving, the financial resources that gives us strength. We are stronger when we work as partners. And as this final verse closes, we are reminded that with two, it's good. With three, even better. The principle seems pretty clear. All we need is to become partners in ministry. And my hope and my prayer is that over the next weeks, there will be a spark of renewed interest in this partnership we call our church family at Journey. That the ministries of Journey Church can count on each one of you as a church family, in the church family, as partners that individually you would see how you are needed in partnership. Obviously, this is very important at this time. We've reached this milestone in our church here. Um, it will be our partnership in ministry that will move the church forward in this new season. The day will soon come when the next thing for you as a church family will arrive, whereas where uh, a pastor, an associate pastor, or whatever it might be. But let me tell you, whatever it is, when they come here, they are going to be so encouraged if they know that you understand 
the partnership of ministry. And that you are committed and standing strong in that partnership. Let me close again by reminding you of the church at Antioch that we studied the last few weeks. They had great success in sustaining their ministries in Antioch and reaching their community. It says hundreds of people came to know the Lord in Antioch. And it caused such an excitement and, and that the stories circulated all the way back to Jerusalem. And all that happened, all that excitement, all those people coming to Christ, all that they were doing, all that happened before they had a pastor. We're not even sure they had um, formalized leadership. But they were a community in partnership. And they changed a community. They turned it upside down. And that can also happen here. When each and every member of the body of Christ, when each and every Christ follower that makes up this church family answers their own call to be one of the partners in ministry. Here's our next step. I want to ask you to be prayerfully considering how you can be a partner in ministry by evaluating what kind of partner in ministry you have become. Evaluate in prayer, prayerfully asking the Lord, Lord, exactly what kind of partner in ministry have I become? Am I where you want me to be, Lord? Am I the kind of partner that's holding up the fellowship? Am I the kind of partner that is taking the message into the world? Am I a kind of partner that brings comfort, physical help? Am I a partner that brings giving? Lord, I'm asking you, help me to evaluate what kind of partner I have become. Bow with me. Father, I pray our evaluation, my evaluation, will go on all week long. I keep asking and asking you to help me understand the type of partner I've become the type of partner you need me to be, what ministry I can be a partner, my partnership can be involved with. Lord, just speak into my heart. Allow me to know. Allow me to sense very strongly everything that you have planned for my life as it helps Journey Church move forward. 